welcome to Thinking Too Hard About Anime, an episode-by-episode discussion of a beloved animated series. It's a little bit of history, a little bit of analysis, and a lot of over-examining the Japanese cartoons we love so much. I am your co-host, Aaron J. Shelton, and with me, as always, is... Noah Carden. And we are continuing our deep dive. I almost said finishing. Not quite. (laughs) Almost. Uh, our deep dive of Cowboy Bebop with Session 24, Hard Luck Woman. Uh, the synopsis for this episode is that in the first half, we have Faye and Ed going to Earth uh, to find evidence of Faye's past, which we she does find. Uh, and then the second half is Ed putting out a bounty on her dad so the crew will find him. And then the saddest thing that's ever happened in the series happens. Oh. This episode was directed by Hirokazu Yamada and written by Michiko Yokote. Um, the title, Hard Luck Woman, uh, comes from the lead single by the band Kiss from their album Rock and Roll Over. I would recommend checking out the Kiss Unplugged video if you can find it. It's pretty easy to find on YouTube. They do a nice acoustic version of it. Huh, and I've... listening to it, before and also after <laughs> watching this episode doesn't help. <laughs> uh, oh, I know. I know. I'll okay. give you the prototype version mm-hmm. of this. So uh, in my book here, the prototype version is episode 24. You can't always get what you want, which I believe is a Rolling Stones Correct. Title. Yeah. An episode where they catch Ed's father who is sentenced to life imprisonment for shoplifting. In parentheses, ex-thug. This story is a bit touching. This is where Ed returns to Earth. That's, huh. There's something about that last sentence that's... I never think of any character in the show as being, like, an Earthling or a Martian. Uh Uh-huh. A a Jupertonian? A a Jovian. A Jovian. (laughs) Are you sure it's not my dumb thing? <laughs> I, I mean, with? it can be. It's all made up. Words are made up. <laughs> a Ganymedia mediate. <laughs> a Titanian. <laughs> um, but yeah, I never think of anyone being like from a planet because it's again because they're all human. So it's like uh, they're humans yeah. or from Earth. And so returning to Earth feels, I don't know. There's something about it that's interesting and that's all that's all i can actually say about it yeah no i i mean i get it it's like um i mean back when they first come to earth and pick up and they talk about how all the earthlings are weird like and they call them earthlings it's it feels like the planets have become like their own sort of like countries in a way Mm. yeah no i i kind of get it i i uh, thinking of them as anything other than just like people as being like an earthling or a martian or whatever is yeah i mean spike is technically a martian he's he's grew up on mars Mm -hmm. he said so so overall i think if you look at this as a standalone episode it's not that strong um it's definitely an episode that signifies that the show is winding down and Mm -hmm. we are tying up loose ends yeah i think you can kind of tell that this is sort of the end of the series almost in the last episode when they end big shots. That's like the first like little hint that things are ending in the show. And then obviously with this one, like you said, it's not particularly strong on its own, but I think in the context of the series as a whole, um, it's definitely sort of the big, Oh, this is all ending. We've got Faye sort of wrapping up her, her personal storyline a bit. Um, and then we have Ed leaving at the end of the episode. So, so yeah, like I, I think this is very much built upon the backs of all the previous episodes. And I think, um, especially with the episodes coming up, the real folk blues parts one and two, it's only just going to build more and more upon that. So as we, yeah, as we alluded to, uh, Ed leaves the show in this episode Mm-hmm. And the ship. Um, but it's sort of it's very flippant. Um, so I, I she she leaves to go be with her father, who is also 
who knows where he went. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's sort of going off to go find him. Um, do you think, I guess, do you think that was the right move? Um, why do you think that they decided to have Ed leave the ship? I think, like, I think, like, the big thing is that knowing where the show goes and how sort of violent of an end the series has, um, I can definitely see them wanting to remove Ed from that whole situation. Like, Ed wasn't there when Battle of Fallen Angels happened. Um, Ed was mostly on the ship when Jupiter Jazz happened. Um, so, so, I mean, yeah, like, I think it's just a... We have this character that isn't really tied into the the relationship of Spike and Vicious and Julia. Like, they're not really a part of that sort of dichotomy. Ed is there as sort of like the lighthearted, um, comedic, you know, comedic aspect of the show. And I think having her there for the end of it would feel a little weird. So let's remove her in this particular episode uh, while we wrap up Faye's personal storyline. Yeah, I, it's it's also a nice uh, symmetry to it since mm-hmm. Ed was the last one to join the crew. It makes sense for her to be the first one to to dip out. Yeah, it's actually like the first and the last crew members to join the bebop because it's both ed and i that mm. leave oh it's so sad when it's i so leave. Sad. <laughs> that's what i was alluding to the saddest thing is that i left yeah <laughs> he keeps uh, looking back yeah they saved his life mm-hmm yeah like but i think uh I, like, we definitely see over the, the the series that ed and i are really sort of like a duo on the ship like i is the super smart like hacking dog so of course he's gonna go off with the weird little hacker girl, and and they're gonna have their own little adventures on Earth where everything is fine and hunky dory, <laughs> and nothing bad ever happens. They they went directly to a farm up north, uh huh, where no meteorites show up. Mm-hmm. They get all the noodles they want, <laughs> all the bell peppers and beef they could eat. Um, but yeah, like I. Uh, it's it's sad to see them go, especially with like I think this was on my my list of songs, but call me call me plays, and it's uh, it it gets me it gets me right in the gut. Wokey noncoin mm-hmm. it is play when when Faye realizes that ooh I mean we'll get it, it that plays after Faye meets someone. Mm-hmm. Waltz for Zizzy Izzy yeah. Like an instrumental version of like "Don't Bother None," which is real good. Yeah, we I, I think we both talked about this before we recorded. Our our notes are kind of sparse. Yeah, um, not a lot of unlike other episodes. There's not a lot of things we can talk about that are referenced uh, too much. It's really. Uh, I mean, I'm just gonna go s- sort of chronologically with okay. my notes. Um, sure. I'm sure it's done this before, but Cowboy Bebop passed the Bechtel test in this episode. Okay. Like yeah. multiple times. Um, for those that aren't familiar, it's a how do I explain it? Uh it's sort of a criteria, a litmus test. Is that yes. It's uh, a criteria uh that sort of is used to illustrate uh the lack of representation of women in film. Uh you a piece of media passes the Bechtel test if two women who are both uh, is it both adults? If two women who are not related to each other talk to each other, but they do not mention a man. Yeah. And then I think one other thing is like they both have to be named characters. Um, but that just I thought that was interesting. It's cool that that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think overall, I would have liked to have seen more Faye and Ed adventures. Yeah. Like that's something we don't get a whole lot of in the series. Like we do get them like interacting here and there. But yeah, I think this is like the kind of the only time we really get those two on their own, having their own adventure. Yeah, at least in Western television and Western serialization, it's usually a good to take two characters that don't normally really interact with each other. It's it's a nice way to mix things up. 
um, is to have those two characters go on an adventure together. Like, I have a, have a spike in... I mean, Ed just didn't interact with anyone <laughs> too yeah. much throughout the show. Yeah, let's spike and Ed go on an adventure. She, like, rides in a backpack. He's wearing something. I don't know. <laughs> he has to go beat up a hacker. <laughs> oh, no. He's going to go beat up some nerd. Yeah, just, again, we miss... I think it's we miss Ed. <laughs> Would love to have more Ed in the series. Yeah, yeah. I think that is probably, like, the one thing is that Ed... Ed gets an episode or two to themselves, but Ed doesn't do a whole lot of team up. And when she does team up with somebody, it's usually for like, it's like a bit part almost Mm -hmm. as opposed to like being the whole episode. Like the only other thing I can really think of is like uh, the bit in Brain Scratch where Jet and Edward go to see, uh, go to track down the, the, the guy behind Scratch. Uh, I don't really. Nothing Damn, else that's, really. That's out. fun. Yeah, uh, a, a teenager in a coma. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this episode two. Uh, we we have Faye just watching and obsessing over the beta tape Max mm-hmm. tape. Um, and it hit me watching this episode how difficult it would be to try and find out about your past after seventy years, fifty. Mm-hmm. 50, 50 uh, to 60 years? Yeah, it should be like 60 years. So you're you're trying to find information about yourself from 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Already, at that point, this would be... Say you went to a coma in the 1970s. Um, it might... It, during our time, it might not be that difficult. But add on top of when you were alive, it was pre-internet. Mm-hmm. And also the former internet died. Yeah. Um, everyone's on different planets now. <laughs> That's, oh, I could, what do you do? You know, where do you even start? Yeah, because well, like Faye's whole thing, like so her, the spaceship accident that caused her to be put into like cryogenic sleep, like that's all pre-gate explosion, mm-hmm. which wiped out a lot of the records of her past life. So if something like that were to happen to us, you know, have happened to us in the past, like what if the entire internet went away and like anything that wasn't protected on like a computer somewhere. And then all of a sudden every building was being destroyed by like media rights every yeah. single day. Like your hometown's underwater. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. No, it's, it'd be a nightmare. Like, I don't think, I think getting any sort of semblance of who you were would be like definitely something you would obsess over. I mean, because it, which would make sense for her sort of um, created personality mm-hmm. early in the show, because I'm sure there was a point when she got away from the the scammers that that the first thing would be okay, time to find out who I really am. Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm a card cheat. That's my new life. I'm now a bounty hunter and a con artist. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Why why not? I don't know how technology works anymore. My high school education is now the equivalent of I don't know, preschool. Yeah. What a yeah, what a what a horrid situation. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, of course she's obsessing and mm-hmm. Through the through the miracle of narrative, she's able to find some clues. I'm still curious about who sent her the tape because I don't think that's ever really been answered. My understanding is that she sent it to herself, so she probably made the tape because right they make the tape and like okay in ten years we're gonna we're gonna look at it because it's specifically to her future self, right? So what? So what happened then would be that it probably went to her old house, which we get to visit in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably gone. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. It- uh, and then it just bounced. But at the same, but no, you're right. How did it get to her? Yeah. Well, I mean, logically speaking, she it's not even her name. No, Faye is her name. Faye is her name. I don't know if Valentine is her yeah. true last name or not. I feel like this may have been mentioned in uh, was it Honky Tonk Women? 
No, Speak Like a Child. I think like this may have been mentioned in Speak Like a Child, but I don't remember exactly what, what happened. Because I know there's like there's like con- some convent that it got forwarded it, to or mm-hmm. forwarded from. What it's a hard. I, I think takeaway is what a hard situation to be in. Mm-hmm. And of course, if a clue suddenly pops up, you're you're desperately trying to to figure something out. Because memory's a fickle son of a gun, <laughs> and you don't know you don't know what's gonna tr- what's going to trigger a memory. Yeah, and I mean that's that's kind of what happens in this episode. Like we see Faye get like little bits and pieces, and then she just it all comes flooding back to her in like the shower after watching the tape one time. Like so before that, um, she is, she goes to the location that that Ed recognized in the video. Um, Faye encounters an, an elderly woman uh, who recognizes Faye and sort of quickly figures out, oh yeah, you were you had the accident and you were in cryosleep. That's why you look so young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the, yeah, the woman's granddaughter comes up, uh, they greet each other, and then before the elderly friend can get too deep into it, Faye just says that I'm a ghost. Mm-hmm. And then leaves. Why do you think that is? I think, I think it's sort of she's scared of confronting her past. Like there's something there now to like actually tell her who she is, and she's. I don't know if she thinks she's ready for something like that. Because mm. I mean, when 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 Sally, the 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 old lady comes up to her she talks about oh i thought you were a ghost like you look exactly like you did all those years ago and everything and Faye just kind of realizes oh people have like moved on and they're not the same anymore and i guess it doesn't doesn't really matter like that's not the Faye in the tape is not the Faye that is there now um and i also think maybe she wants to find out by herself as opposed to having somebody else tell her. Yeah, I I did kind of take it as a you know what, fuck it. Kind of kind of moment of mm-hmm. the past shouldn't define me. Mm-hmm. And having an accident happen to you shouldn't define me. It also seemed like it, it might be a, a pity thing where mm-hmm. Faye doesn't want this woman to say, "Oh, here's my friend and Here's my old friend. Her life got real fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you about all the horrible stuff that happened to this person. Granddaughter. It. Yeah. Faye Faye does just scare a child for like no reason. though. Yeah. Like I'm a ghost. Boo. (laughs) I'm a Dracula and a ghost. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. It's. That is nice. It's nice that there's this moment of like accept it. Still being sad, of course. Because uh-huh. she immediately goes to bed. Um, yeah. Which is, which is the right... I mean, that's what I would do. Had a long day. You yeah. We're, went to Earth. Went to Singapore. I am done with everything for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, but it's nice that she sort of decided on this closure and like, no, no, it, it's not done. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh. think... She she gets her flashback in the shower where like suddenly a lot of memories just come running back to her of the accident of where she used to live and stuff like that. So she just kind of has to go and see it one last time. It feels like I mean, it uh, almost seems like she's hopeful that someone will be there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think. Yeah. Because, I mean, Sally's there. Why wouldn't somebody else be there? At least some sort of remnant of her past and uh she goes she goes running up that hill uh and we oh man just like the little cuts in between like past Faye through like time like little kid Faye to like teen Faye to modern Faye just to see her house where it is no longer a thing she draws the outline of her old bedroom with the stick because she remembers now and then sleeps in that square. <laughs> yep. Uh also, apparently Faye was loaded. <laughs> That's the I mean, that makes sense. It's a it's a great irony of like 
you are this person from privilege. Yeah. And now it's, but now you're in the most debt of anyone in the universe. Yeah. Like I think, yeah, there's definitely that irony there. And I definitely think it also like, oh yeah, it would probably cost a lot of money to be put in cryo sleep. Like, I don't think any, any random Joe Schmo that gets into a spaceship accident, which first of all, like that's, that's a hell of a sentence. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, if you get into a spaceship accident, you being put like you being rescued and put into hibernation, that's going to cost a lot of money. And yeah, like it's, it's not something the average person would be able to do. So that, that's definitely sort of like a, a tip off there. I think. No, they they mapped it pretty well. Everything does fit into into everything. Do we want to talk about Singapore? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cause that I think canonically that is her place of origin, correct? Uh, yes, as far as we are are told, uh, she is from Singapore. Whether or not she is um, ethnically from Singapore is a little up in the air because uh, during my little bit of research, um, uh, so Singapore is a, a city-state in Southeast Asia. It's in uh, the most southern tip of the Malay Peninsula. And it has the second greatest population density in the world. Whoa. Um, yeah. Um, it has 5.7 million residents, uh, which only 61% of them are Singaporean citizens. So Faye could be, you know, she may not be like ethnically from Singapore. She could be from a family that is just living there. Yeah, she uh my understanding is that it was a British colony until the 60s. Yes. So, uh it was a British trading post uh founded in 1819. Um that is like the the modern air quotes version of Singapore. It's obviously been there much much longer than that. Um but it's been a part of the British Empire up until post World War II where uh during World War II it was occupied by Japan uh and then it was returned in 1945 um they gained self-governance in 1959 and then in 63 became a part of the federation of malaysia uh up until 1965 when they were expelled uh due to ideological differences uh and therefore became an independent country they're one of only like a handful of actual like functional city-states in the modern world which city-state is kind of Kind of does what it says on the tin, where it is a city that is also its own country. Uh, Hong Kong was sort of a city state, and I don't think it is any longer. Considering, I, uh, yeah, I'm not equipped to <laughs> talk about. Yeah, the, no, the it's, it, that's a very complex situation. Um, the Vatican would be considered a city state because it is technically its own country. the The big thing that we get the the whole reason we we're led to believe is Singapore is because of the Merlion statue that we see in the videotapes, which the Merlion is the national symbol of Singapore. Um, it is a kind of, you know, kind of self-explanatory is a uh, creature with the body of a fish and the head of a lion. The, the fish body of the Singapore Merlion um, is representative of Singapore's original uh, re representative of its origins as a fishing village, um, while the head uh, is a lion based off of Singapore's original name, Singapura, meaning Lion City. So those two symbols were combined by Alec Fraser Brunner, a member of the Souvenir Committee and a curator at the Van Cleef Aquarium in Singapore in 1964. Um, so in 1972, the original statue was built, I believe it is eight meters tall. Yes. 8.6 meters tall. Um, in 1997. So after I think during the production of the show, a bridge called the Esplanade bridge was constructed and blocked the view of the Merlion. So they actually had to move it in 2002. Um, mm. and there's actually several Merlion statues. The one that we see in the show 
might not actually even be the original one because it is incredibly large. Um, the one that we see in the show, at least the one that we see Faye uh, visit in the show, might actually be the Sentosa Merlion, which was a 37 meter tall replica. Um, Sentosa is a small island uh, just off of Singapore, um, towards the, the southern tip. There's a lot of tourism in Singapore, and uh, Sentosa actually holds like Universal Studios and a bunch of other theme parks in Singapore. So the 37 meter tall version of the Merlion was constructed there um, and was actually only recently retired in 2019. Um, but yeah, just due to the height, though, I think that's the one that we actually see in the show. Um, a, a, a fact that I learned while learning, looking up the Merlion is that apparently due to the water fountain nature of the original one, Merlion has become something of a slang term for vomiting in Singapore. <laughs> uh, just because of the constant gushing of water. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, um, so two things. One, I was calling it Merleon in my head <laughs> until I realized what it actually was when I was like looking it into it. Um, so I'm dumb. Uh, but two, <laughs> it, it's an interesting piece of sort of commercialism mm -hmm. on top of claiming independence uh, from yourself. Like, it's interesting that Singapore created this symbol to signify we are that we are an individual place. We we have mm -hmm. sovereignty. And you know what? It is going to be a lion with a fish body. Um, but it's like the tourism board made it, man. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like it's like, how do we get how do we get people to come here? What if we had a cool symbol? I think I think it's a cool example of like the power of imagery, the power of having an independent spirit. And claiming something as your own, just mm -hmm. psychically, it's very interesting <laughs> to me. If that makes any yeah. sense, like and and like the Singapore Tourism Board is very protective of the Merlion like imagery. Like you have to get approval from the STB, the Singapore Tourism Board, uh, to use it on like merchandise. Um, and, you can't just like, I heart New York it. Yeah, no, you can't do that. Like you would. <laughs> I Merlion Singapore. <laughs> yes, that is Singapore is uh a very interesting place. They are um well they do have very high quality of life there. They are not exactly the biggest on free speech. Uh yeah. Yeah, there's definitely like a lot of issues uh with Singapore, but at the same time, incredibly high <laughs> quality of life so uh, yeah uh, I'm, I'm not i'm not really here to of, judge a land of contrast um also some of the fastest internet connection speeds in the world what? Must be i nice. just there i mean if you were a, if you grew up in the 90s any i think mm -hmm. the first time any of us heard about seeing poor was through I'm not even gonna say the controversy. It was it was the news blowing something way out of proportion. I feel I think now that we're looking back at it, mm -hmm. but and I'm gonna editorialize this a little bit. So please keep that in mind. Uh, some fucking stupid tourist graffitied all over Singapore, and is and they have capital punishment in Singapore. I don't know if they still do, but at the time they had capital punishment, uh, and his butt was gonna get spanked with a bamboo rod. And they called it caning. And the news made a big fucking deal about it. Mm -hmm. Embassies were involved. <laughs> yeah. In in this incident. It was insane. Where nowadays I feel like everyone would be like, yeah, fuck that kid. Yeah. Let um, him get spanked. Uh and again, this is all this is all for memory. And that's how like powerful it was. Weird Al made a song about it. It's been a very long time since I've read it, but there is an article. By William Gibson about uh, Singapore, uh, titled "Disneyland with a with the Death Penalty," where he talks about visiting uh, Singapore and uh, kind of seeing the effectively seeing the sort of dystopian future in it. Um, mm. This is an article from like '93, 
though, so it's it's okay. very old. But uh, I would recommend go and, and checking it out. I I'm always a big fan of uh, of Mr. Gibson's work, even if I don't always agree with it 100. Um, percent I definitely think it's an interesting read. And also, just like looking at like the skyline of Singapore, there's some buck wild architecture going on there. Like it is absolutely fascinating. Um, there is a uh, a trio of skyscrapers that then have like a structure that spans all three of them. Oh, like the the skywalkways to yeah. a degree. Hold kind on. of. It's basically Let me... let's take these three skyscrapers and then put a big ass like boat on top of them uh, okay yeah i see now yeah it, it, it is a very interesting skyline for sure yeah it's uh it's utterly fascinating also singapore is a known tax haven so uh, <laughs> again a land of contrast <laughs> yeah we scratching the surface uh, of singapore in this podcast please do not reference us in any reports you may have yes do not quote me saying he should have got spanked. <laughs> I mean, for funsies, you can. Not for any academic paper. Yes, please. Please do not cite <laughs> us as an academic <laughs> source. Oh, that just yeah. makes me think of, like, how would you MLA cite a podcast? <laughs> that's... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that is my little bit on Singapore and the Merlion statue. Yeah, let's let's get to Ed's storyline. Uh, I want I do want to talk a little bit about Ed's dad. Uh, he was voiced in the Japanese version by Kenji Utsumi, uh, mm-hmm. but in the English version, he is voiced by Barry Stiegler, who I want to mention simply because Barry Stiegler did a voice in the short-lived MTV adaptation of The Max. Uh, he played Mr. Gone, and and huh. as a young man. Boy, oh boy, did I like watching the Max, even though it made <laughs> no sense. There there was a time after the success of Beavis and Butthead where MTV went pretty heavy into animation. And you could get mm-hmm. a weird, a weird animated TV show on there. In so much that in a Kevin Smith movie, he references the Blunt Man and Chronic comic book becoming an MTV show because that was their bag at the time. Like that's where, um, like Aeon Flux and and all that stuff kind of got their their big start. Liquid Television, I believe, is the name of the program. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sort of their yes. their pilot. Uh, they would test things out. It, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Weird that some weird cartoon got made into a Charlize Theron movie in two thousand seven yeah. or two thousand eight. Yeah, that's it's real, real strange. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever really talked about this, but I personally don't really like Peter Chung's art style. Oh, is it the grossness that you don't care for? <laughs> it's I. It's just everything. Like not even like Aeon Flux. Like his bit in like the Animatrix and uh, the the Chronicles of Riddick animated thing he did. Oh, which I have not seen. Um. I just, I don't know. There's just something about his art style that I don't particularly enjoy. I mean, if you do, more power to you. I just don't think it's for me. People don't make sense <laughs> the way he draws them, which is fine. Yes. It, I don't know how to describe it except like hard, smooth lines. Yeah. And, wi- and wispy people. Yeah, they're all very... Mm, yeah, <sighs> I just, I don't... I mean, y'all look it up, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, they're all very like weirdly lanky. I barely watched Aeon Flux when it became like an actual show, partly because like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and then trying to make a movie out of it. Did it make any sense? But yeah, and <laughs> we, we've gotten into a little bit of a hole, but I, I just yeah. want to say <laughs> to call that out. That, that was that was one for me. Um, but yeah, the Ed storyline isn't, that complex we find out that ed's dad is kind of a piece of shit mm-hmm. um who essentially forgot about ed yeah and came looking for her. and then promptly forgot about her again they don't just it's not a justification but they do kind of explain it he's 
as you would imagine from Ed's father, he's very eccentric. Um, mm-hmm. I think his big philosophy is that he doesn't sweat the small stuff, but the small stuff seems to be everything. Yeah. Remembering people's names, remembering whether or not he has a, a daughter or a son. Um, his main bag is traveling across Earth trying to map everything. Him and his, his assistant, uh, Macintosh. It's McIntyre. <laughs> hey, wait, are we doing a bit? <laughs> we might be doing a bit. Uh, Mac yeah. or whatever. Mac or whatever. Uh, they're, cartar- they're cartographers. Yes. Uh, they're mapping out Earth and all of the uh, meteors that have hit, which they're constantly hitting the Earth because Earth is surrounded in like a detritus field from the moon exploding. It's a it's a Sisyphean task is what mm-hmm. they have given themselves and sort of showing the flighty nature that's in both Apple Deli and Ed. Um, now, what do you think Apple Deli did <laughs> when Ed got MPU to make a big ass smiley face? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, that's a very good question. Uh, I mean, I guess he would have to map it now, wouldn't he? <laughs> That that might be it's like oh this is easy, oh, yeah. line just... dot dot line we're done <laughs> moving on. Oh, that takes care of South America. <laughs> yeah, what a what a real piece of garbage. Yeah, like like he dropped Ed off at a an orphanage, basically, and then Ed escapes to go just kind of like tool around Earth, I guess. And then she grabs the Bebop, goes on an adventure for them for like a year, and then she comes back to get some food. Is like, oh yeah, your dad stopped by. He left a photo of himself, like a hologram photo, which is, I think it's like the first time we've seen anything like that in the series. Uh, yeah, that's very weird. Um, I do, it, during the orphanage scene, we do mm-hmm. get uh, the, the sister there who runs it. She does describe, in both versions, she describes Ed as a cat, which Hmm. I think is a nice little nod to Yoko Kano and her relationship and her and the her being a lot of the basis for Ed. Yeah. Yoko Kano is always being described as very cat like and like precocious like that. So, So, yeah, definitely. Um, So apparently uh, going off of some notes on the wiki for this mm-hmm. one, so I, I don't have any hard backup for this. But apparently, the children at the orphanage are taught to make pinwheels to mark mm. where they have been. Uh, huh. Which to which kind of plays into, like, the final scene of the episode, to a degree. Uh, so basically, Ed puts a bounty on her father, and uh, she puts it at Fifty point zero 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 Wulong, which is Spike and Jet very quickly overlooked to think uh, it is fifty million Wulong. Uh, when they finally run into him, Apple Deli really just puts the hurting on Spike. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. Like Spike will land blows on him and it does nothing. It's it's nuts. Um, I also like that Apple Deli throws eggs at their guns, which apparently renders them useless. Yeah. It's all sticky and gross. You're worried about salmonella? Uh-huh. It's a good deterrent. I think this part of the episode is like what drove me a little mad because it seemed bonkers, but not in the typical cowboy bebop way. Mm-hmm. Like, who is this jerk? How? I, I rarely want to get into who can beat up who. Discussions, mm-hmm. but how's this man, hold, this dumb dumb, holding his own against Spike? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, the guy apparently grew grew up on Earth and has spent his entire life on Earth. Which, in the show, I mean that that would be a hard a hard life. So, I wonder what sort of Mad Max esque adventures he has had to harden him to such a degree. I mean, yeah, always always on the go. Always traveling. You got to scavenge gas or fission or however they're getting around. Mm-hmm. And, and especially in this episode, you you really see how messed up Earth is in like mm-hmm. the backgrounds. Everything's underwater here. 
They're they're yeah, they are really in the badlands versus the like the first time they came to Earth, or even when they went to try and get the the Betamax player. Which I mean the the museum that they like spelunk into is still like most of that is still underwater. Yeah. But uh but yeah, no, like some of the areas that we see are definitely like much more hospitable than others. And yeah, living on Earth is just a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, maybe he's toughened up. He knows how to handle himself. Mm-hmm. He's, though he does have a fake bounty on him, maybe he, he might have done some stuff that maybe he I, should have a bounty on him. Yeah, possibly. I mean, child abandonment, at least. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so like, he just knocks down Spike, pretty much. Like, he does a lot of headbutts. Ed shows up with the Bebop, controlling it once again, like her first appearance with their little remote control. Yeah, like they finally recognize each other, like Epidelia and Ed. And like he offers to to take her with him, but then just promptly leaves without her the moment that a big meteor strikes the Earth. It's just, dude sucks. Dude sucks. I One of my favorite bits of animation... Not just in the show, but just it's it's such a good gag when they recognize each other. Ed jumps off the ship. Uh, Appledelli catches her by the ankles, and she just sort of like <laughs> Looney Tunes becomes straight as a board. Somehow that uh, works out, and then he starts swinging her around. Yes, it's it's very good. It, like it's like he's real sweet with her and everything. It's just the moment that something else comes along, he quickly forgets about her, and it's you know. It's rough. Like it's Ed is too sweet for that. Like you can't just you can't just like forget about Ed. In any other show, this would be such a this would be such a big plot point. This would happen like act one of the episode. Mm. And then everyone's like, Ed, your dad's a piece of shit. <laughs> I don't know why you're trying yeah. to get their approval. And then it becomes Ed like learning to stick up for herself. Uh, again, in any other show aside from yeah. this one. This is just here's an excuse for had to run off. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I, I part of why I presented the question at the top of the episode because it it doesn't make sense for Ed to run off like that. I, I mean, Faye does give her some advice to like, hey, go uh-huh. find where you belong. Um, so it might not necessarily be to go find her dad. Yeah, she, like I kind of always take it as just Ed just wants to go and try and find themselves. Um, like she just wants to go and spend some time away from the bebop and go do her own thing. Like when she's talking to Ayn, she says, like, I don't know when I'll be back. And, you know, that that kind of says to me that she's going to go do her own thing for a bit. And maybe one day she'll try and come back to the bebop or not. Like, I don't know if she's necessarily going to be going and looking for her father, kind of given how that scene plays out. God, yeah, I hope not. He sucks. Yeah, he does give. Spike and Jed a bunch of eggs, though. <laughs> During the whole Ed leaving scene, um, there's um, Spike's just hanging out. Jed's mm-hmm. cooking eggs. He's like, hey, it's dinner. Let's let's all eat these hard boiled eggs. The only way I prepared them. Um, can't, even, go- can't even spice it up like the mushrooms. Nope. Um, he he goes to find Spike up top. They see the uh, Ed is spray painted bye bye with her face. Mm-hmm. on the deck of the ship Ooh. and then in honor in honor of both i mean faye's gone at this point too um yes. they no I'm, i don't i don't know why this happened but like of course i'm tearing up watching this episode mm-hmm. but like i'm tearing up while these fools are eating a bunch of hard-boiled eggs in honor of their friends <laughs> who have left <laughs> Yeah, like it's such a a bizarre sort of combinations of scenes because we see we see Faye outlining her bed in this this bit. We see Ed leaving and Ein following, and you know Ed tries to do the no, you can't come with me. It's too dangerous thing. And then Ein is just so persistent and sad that of course Ed takes him with her, and this in between. Well, this this great, beautiful song plays, Spike and Jet are just scarfing down our <laughs> 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 like 
two, three at a time. It's kind of ridiculous. And that is a a reference to the movie Cool Hand Luke from 1967, mm-hmm. starring starring Paul Newman. Um, basically, a life of a prisoner, but he refuses to lose his humanity. And there's a uh-huh. thing. There's just a weird bet where they're like, "Hey, Paul Newman, we bet you can't eat 50 hard boiled eggs." And he's like. I bet you I can. I, I, I forget I, I forget what the outcome is. I don't think the outcome is good <laughs> from eating 50 hard-boiled eggs. But just, yeah, it, what else are you going to do, man? Yeah, like, that that bit, them eating the eggs, it feels like, to me, almost a we're going to eat our feelings kind of mm. moment. Like, there's just such a determination, especially on, like, Jet. Jet has always kind of struck me as the bit more, like, sympathetic or emotional one of the two and just sort of like the look of determination on his face he has sort of like oh yeah leave i don't care expression when you know he totally he totally does care but yeah it just felt like a we're just gonna sit here and eat this eggs and not think about you know our little buddy and dog going off on their own and we're not gonna think about you know our friend as much as a pain in the ass she is potentially leaving forever uh we're just gonna sit here and we're gonna eat these eggs in silence like men who suppress Mm. their emotions (laughs) it's gonna be fine and nothing bad will ever happen (laughs) it's toxic masculinity yeah yeah (laughs) we we we've all been there instead of going to a therapist we've eaten a bunch of eggs (laughs) (laughs) typical oh well now i have a a post to make when this episode goes up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> men would rather eat 50 eggs than go to therapy <laughs> um but that's uh i i i think we've did it right we we got through this we mainly got through this episode without breaking down um, <laughs> yeah wait hold on i do we have to do we do have to say what the end tag is because it's not see a space cowboy it's see you cowgirl someday somewhere oh uh, uh, God! Someone hand me an egg. I can't take it. <laughs> egg, egg me, <laughs> sir. I think you've had enough. <laughs> I'll tell you when I've had enough. But this uh, Ed's such a delightful and fun and great addition to the show. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're gonna pull her off in the Netflix series. Um, oh yeah because you the animation on her is is part of it like i feel like you have to hire a a little gymnast yeah i i i I don't know how they're gonna be able to do that i think it's because you did okay so let me ask this in i assume that they're going to give ed some sort of character arc that's just that's western television even like the the goof em up character has to have like Here's what it was like growing up in the orphanage. I'm like, I don't know. She's just Ed is Ed. She said it herself. Mm-hmm. Ed is Ed. That's it. We're good. That's all we need. Um, I mean, but like, and this is the closest we're gonna get to an arc for her. And it's still they still kept like the goofiness and lightness of it. It's just here's Ed being presented with with these several people saying, Hey Ed, you need to go and like find something else. Or it's time to it's time to hit the old dusty trail. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Yeah, you're right, weird dad and weird lady." I don't think they have cast Ed yet. Yeah, on IMDb, I'm not seeing anyone. Yeah. Cast. Um. Yeah, they've cast they've cast like all these other characters except for Ed. Mm. I try not to be this kind of fan, but. How dare you if you just cut her out, you know? Yeah. Like, I think they have said that she will be in the show. I just, I, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, don't be like, here's our ship's AI, Ed. Oh, oh, uh, oh, man. Yeah, right. Oh, what are they doing? Teddy Bomber is cast. Did they? A Rodney, according to IMDb, a Rodney Cook. So, I mean, all right, well, (laughs) all right, all right, we should probably save it here and and go. That's that's for the wrap up. Yeah. But yeah, anything else on this 
on this tender episode. I mean, I've I've been here and there thinking about it. I've been, yeah. you know, my eyes are they get a little watery. Yeah, same. Like it's uh it's it's just, you know, it's the beginning of the end. And it's it's rough. Um we've been dealing with Cowboy Beat, but like actively working and thinking and and drawing on Cowboy Bebop for a year. So it's not, you know, it's not just the show ending, it's this season ending too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) Let's Uh, talk about a movie that probably doesn't have anything to do. (laughs) Okay, but real quick. um, So Ed's dad's name is Appledeli Sinis Hesop Lutfin, which I did double check this against Google Translate. Uh, (laughs) Sounds like Effe... Which is a Turkish word, Turkish sentence for, excuse me, check please. For comedy, for comedy punchline? Yes. Uh, yes. Check please. Um, I mean, that is, that is his MO. Yeah. He just gets out of there. It's kind of yeah. a, that, yeah. That's, that's fun. That's cool. Uh, there's a lot of just kind of in general and in, in Japanese media, a lot of pun names. So getting that out of a a Turkish phrase, I think is is neat. And also, it's McIntyre and Apple Deli, which are you know, Apple computers. Oh, Apple Mac, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, that's the flightiest of all hardware. <laughs> <laughs> So for movie recommendations, I let's see if I can shoehorn this bad boy in here. So we got what 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 really came to mind was that we had an orphanage. Uh-huh. We had a nun. We had we had a very large uh kids at a table eating scene. So naturally, of course, my mind went to the 2006 film Nacho Libre. <laughs> um which was uh, which was directed by Jared Hess, uh, who I think the most famous thing that they've done is uh, they were the director of Napoleon Dynamite, the smash early 2000s comedy oh. cult hit. Yes. Uh, it was written by Hess and his uh, partner, uh, filmmaking partner and wife, Jerusha Hess and Mike White. Uh, Mike White was the writer of School of Rock. Uh, so he was coming. This I believe this was his follow up afterwards. Mike uh, White, after Jack Black. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, because it does star Jack Black, mm-hmm. uh, Anna de la Guerra, and Hector Jimenez, uh, and you get a little baby cameo from Peter Stormare, who to me is one of the best on screen Satans from Constantine. Oh yes, I oh it's so creepy. It's probably my favorite part of that movie. Oh, where 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 Constantine is ascending to heaven and then flipping off the devil? Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just uh, honestly, you could just watch that scene for that. And a and a young Tilda Swinton's in it. I wish you talk about Constantine, but we won't. We'll talk about Nacho Libre. Uh, for those that don't know, the plot centers around a Catholic monk uh, who, in order to try and raise funds for the orphanage, primarily to get better food for them. Uh, he moonlights in secret as a luchador. Uh, and it is loosely based on the story of Frey Tormenta, uh, which I believe one translation is Friar Storm, uh, a.k.a. Reverend Sergio Gutierrez Benitez. Benitez? Benitez. Benitez, thank you. Uh, who is a real-life Mexican Catholic priest uh, who had a 23-year career as a mass luchador and for the same reason, to try and raise money uh, for the orphanage he directed. Um, this dude is still alive. He is 75, and he will still wear his mask, mm-hmm. uh, even while performing his priestly duties. Uh, for those that aren't aware, within the luchador tradition of wrestling, uh, masks are very important, um, maybe less so now. Uh, but back in the day, they were... Kayfabe was, was held in high regard to where wrestlers, if they were masked luchadors, they would go out in public still in masks. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to hide their identity. That was part of like their power and part of their honor within that. Um, it, within the Luchador community, big, big matches were like the loser is the one who gets demasked first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big, dumb comedy. It is, I believe I watched it on Pluto for their demand, Pluto TV for their demand, mm. on demand service. But, you know, you could rent it anywhere else. Um, it's on CBS All Access. Uh, uh, yeah, Pluto, Crackle uh, as well. It's just, it's stupid and fun. And these, in these last couple of, honestly, these last couple of episodes we've been covering, they're not based on anything. Yeah. So it's been a little harder to figure out what might be a good recommendation. I tried to look at some other movies that might have to do with memory, uh, especially for this. Um, I worked at a movie theater when this premiered. And uh, one of the advantages of working in movie theater is you usually get to watch the film the night before, especially when it was still on actual film. You had to build the film, and the excuse was that you had to test it to make sure everything ran smoothly uh, through the projector. Um and I think, if I'm not mistaken, one, we were kind of loosey-goosey with who we would let in to watch these previews. It was employees, and employees can, like, right. invite a friend. Um, it, um, And I think we had a few employees just invite, like, 20 fucking people to come watch Nacho Libre. Jesus. And I'm like, this is insane. And, and the theory and the rumor was that the company would send out spies on Thursday nights to make sure that there weren't a ton of people watching these movies after midnight, Mm -hmm. Uh, that we weren't, you know, scamming the system too much. Um, They're like, yeah, there are a lot. So as a manager, I was like, you know what? Nope. We're canceling it. There's too many people. Everyone go home. Half them went home. And then I think one of the employees went up to me. is like, we're still going to watch Nacho Libre, right? Like, oh yeah, we are just, if we're not canceling it, just all these randos need to go home. Yeah. It was, so though yeah, those are my memories of Jack Black doing Mexican wrestling as he like eats an egg. Speaking of, there's the other connection. There is a big scene about him eating an egg that's supposed to give him eagle powers. Oh, uh, always comes back to eggs. <laughs> it always comes. I mean, yes, 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 yes. See, uh, I I remember saying Nacho Libre, and like the thing that sticks out with me is get that corn out of my face, mm-hmm. and then using said corn as like a throwing <laughs> knife and like stabbing a guy in the eye with a corn cup. Get that corn out of my face is still quoted uh, among yes. certain as among certain French groups. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's a fun movie. I don't know what do you want yeah. from me. Yeah. They movies maybe I'm sad and I just want to be cheered up, huh? You ever think about that? <laughs> okay, Eric, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> uh, someone hand me an egg. <laughs> Quick. Um, <sighs> but that is uh the end of the episode. Thank you all so so very much for listening, for coming to hang out with us. If you want to talk to us, you can do so by writing to us at thinking too hard pod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Thinking Anime. Um, if if you want me to yell more <laughs> about dumb stuff, uh, you can listen to me on Kame House Party, uh, the podcast where myself and my co-host Vince White attempt to watch every episode of Dragon Ball in existence, and then we goof around on it and do improv. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash Kame Party. Uh, where we play a variety of games and we have a variety of fun. Uh, Noah, where can the good people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Common Otaku. That's K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. Um, you can find me on Twitch streaming both some video games and uh, some miniature painting and building uh, on twitch.tv slash Common Otaku. Again, that is K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. Um, I typically stream... Sunday, Monday, Wednesday. Um, and then I'm also on the Best Power Brigade Twitch stream every Saturday um, for the foreseeable future, uh, playing The Third Ship, which is a mecha-themed Dungeons & Dragons 4th Ed campaign 
Um, there's a lot of costumes and green screen, and it's very cool. Uh, well, you're you're a, rocking a mustache now because of I it, right? I'm rocking a mustache now. I actually need to go and like trim my scruff to get cleaned <laughs> up for tonight when we're recording this. Um, but yes, so that's a lot of fun. So come check that out. It's a it's a good time. That should be every Saturday at about 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and then I occasionally show up on a couple of role playing game podcasts like the Role Playing Exchange. Technical Difficulties Gaming Podcast and Role Playing Public Radio. So go check those out. Awesome. And we will be back in two weeks uh, with the final episodes of Cowboy Bebop, but not the final episode of the season, where we will be covering sessions 25 and 26, The Real Folk Blues, parts one and two. Uh, and we'll probably get real sad again. Yeah. Real, real sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so until next time. Uh, I am Aaron J. Shelton. And I'm Noah Carden. And we've been thinking too hard. Thinking too hard.